Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for joining me for this show. Um, I'm so excited to have my guest, Neil Redding, um, on today, who is all sorts of um, inspired technologist, but also thinker, speaker. I'll let him introduce himself, but we have been um, kind of nerding out for a while about this new paradigm and approach to thinking, seeing, um, understanding the world and innovating, um, especially within the realms of business, but also just how we live our lives in understanding ourselves as more connected with everything. Um, so I'm super excited to have this conversation and to share these ideas with everyone. Um, but first, just wanted to invite you, Neil, to share who you are and um, maybe what brings you here. Yeah, thanks so much, Ray. Really great to be here. It's always great chatting with you and extra fun to record it and hopefully um, invite some other people into some of these ideas and ways of seeing the world, as you said. So where to start? I mean, who am I? I you know, it's yeah. like the question <laughs> sort of gets more interesting as life goes on, right? Um, totally. But, you know, I in a professional context, I generally say, you know, I, I grew up professionally as a software engineer and technologist. I also studied philosophy in college. And so there was always this kind of interplay between humanities and creativity and sciences and, and practicality. And so kind of the first half of my career was doing software engineering. And then the second half, I've really been doing much more creative expression for brands and businesses and also um, digital experience in physical space. And so in addition to that kind of uh, practical work, I've developed myself more as a, an innovation architect and a near futurist is a term I've been using recently to really point to how we are very actively creating the near future and kind of pulling it to ourselves by what we do, how we speak, um, how we interact with people. And so that's really one way of describing sort of from a professional um, trajectory how I've arrived at um, what we're calling the ecosystem paradigm, which I know is the sort of the core of, of um, what we want to talk about today. It's uh, the name of a book that I mentioned I'm just uh, submitting to my editor, like in the next day or two, which I'm really excited about. I've been keynote speaking about this uh, at South by Southwest and other conferences recently. And um, so it's really bringing all of this stuff together, all this work I feel like I've been doing for for decades. So that's a little, I guess, a two-minute kind of overview of who I am and what I'm up to. And do you want to say a little bit about how you and I know mm -hmm. each other as well? Yeah. I, mean, I think I know you for, is it 15 years or? Oh my gosh. Ish? Yeah. Ish. So um, yeah. So Neil and I uh, go back to my innovation days back in New York. And you can imagine us hanging out at this amazing studio uh, in Dumbo uh, that was started by Swiss Miss. That was a sort of like creative haven incubator. Studio mates. Studio yes. mates. Yeah. This like nest of just some of the most amazing um, just technologists and designers and um, home of Creative Mornings and Brooklyn Beta and, um, you know, the design work that you guys yes. did with Ted. And yeah, it was early days, like what, 2009, 10? It was I eight think? or nine. Yeah, the project yeah, that I did, I remember doing with um, Workshop, Jesse and Creighton yep. for Ted was 2009 Ted Prize, Charter for Compassion. So right. that was actually how I 
kind of how I got connected with with them and with with you, I think, sort of a whole subculture yeah. of what was going on in New York at the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Neil and I go way back and, you know, I've known you as a technologist um, and it's been super lovely and fascinating to reconnect, um, exploring this kind of um, new realm and domain and kind of feels like depth of, you know, the work and also your, your sort of maybe philosophical side too, um, and how that blends in with the work. Um, but yeah, the, the ecosystem paradigm, you know, a super excited to get a sort of like behind the scenes look, as Neil mentioned, he just submitted his book. So we're, it's really great to get to talk with you about some of the ideas, um, that are in it before, you know, they even come out. Um, so thanks for taking this time to do that. But yeah, we started kind of, we reconnected and sort of started, you know, just geeking out on this, you know, new, uh, concept that Neil was putting out into the world. And I think I saw, you know, a, a brief snippet of a keynote speak uh, talk that you did um, on it. And it just blew me away because um, it's, it's a concept that, you know, is very um, in the air, right? But you articulated it in such a beautiful, powerful way, and especially its potential to be applied towards and to inform like the world of business and technology and innovation, um, you know, grounded in this idea of, you know, that's born from nature, right? So anyway, I'll, I'll let you share a little bit more about it. You could probably say it better than I can, but will you tell us a little bit about like what the ecosystem paradigm is and just a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So where to start? I mean, so we hear people using the term ecosystem all day long, right? Certainly in the business world, I've noticed, and maybe part of this is sort of confirmation bias, like since I've started using this term, which goes back a few years to talking about digital and physical ecosystems or holistically integrated digital physical ecosystems for brands. You know, I've been talking about that for quite a few years in the professional work that I've done. Um, but then people talk all day about product ecosystems and partner ecosystems and developer ecosystems, and right, mm -hmm. around all realms of business. And I feel that this term is maybe not overused, but sort of under, um, there's just a lot more there, I should say, you know, there's a lot more mm -hmm. depth to it than, than we tend to give credit to. And I get into this in, in my talk and in, in the book. Um, but you know, one thing we can say that I know you and I share is that, um, the term ecosystem of course is, uh, originated with living things, with living systems. And mm -hmm. so it connotes um, things like growth and disruption and resilience. And a lot of this language has become more and more um, utilized and useful in a business context, right? Thanks to the disruptions of COVID and the pandemic and various other sources and, and the resilience that's been necessary and part of the business conversation around how do you make business models resilient. So kind of dancing around like where this idea came from and why I'm using the term ecosystems. Um, but really the, the bottom line in terms of uh, why I feel like uh, ecosystems are a much bigger term and concept um, in terms of their relevance for how we live and how we run our businesses is that 
it's just become clear, right, that if we're going to have a thriving, abundant future on this planet as humanity, we need to bring what you might call human technology, the businesses and the technologies and kind of all of our activities into an equilibrium or even a symbiosis with nature technology and the the ecosystems on the planet, right? Like that's that's one of the things we kind of prompted in our South by Southwest talk, the audience, um, and we showcased how uh, when we prompt mid-journey, right, an AI visual, visualization tool or creation tool, um, imagine... Uh, imagine the future and you get a certain set of sort of dystopic, lonely, kind of dark outcomes. And you have to intentionally prompt it with, uh, imagine a thriving, abundant future, right? What is, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And, and mm-hmm. how do we, so the lesson that we took away from that was really, we have to be intentional about the ways that we imagine the future, the ways we speak about the future and the activities mm-hmm. that we that we engage in around building what what we're going to be using heading into the future. So, so that's a whole lot of context uh, in order to define what this what this ecosystem paradigm is. Mm-hmm. So, what it is really is a named way of seeing the world that is um, through a lens of connectedness like seeing the world essentially as it is made of connected ecosystems where things are much more connected than we realize and contrasting that with what I see or what I believe is the the current paradigm or way of seeing the world, which is that, you know, you're you and I'm me and, you know, this is this class and business is business and um, nature is nature and you know there's all these us's and them's in the world and you know there's americans and foreigners and conservatives and liberals and ukrainians and russians and on and on and on right the world is made of uh, distinct things and groups of things and distinct people and this this way of seeing the world that i call the paradigm of distinction is hugely powerful like it's enabled science and the scientific method and industry and technology and our businesses to achieve all the amazing things that it has, that they have. And also, I think it's obviously brought us to the brink in terms of, you know, operating as if, you know, we don't have to worry about pollution. We don't have to worry about all the, the thems in the world and we can we can throw things away and we can, you know, ignore those that don't have what we have. And, you know, so the the whole ecosystem paradigm and i can talk about sort of how i arrived at this but it's just it's really about an inquiry into what if we were able to see the world as deeply interconnected and not as made up of these discrete and distinct and separate people places and things so it sounds abstract which is kind of why i'm providing all this uh all this context around it i'll stop there for a second is that yeah no, I mean, the thing that I love about that is, you know, again, a lot of the exploration that I'm engaging in on this podcast is this idea of, you know, when we talk about maybe a more expanded version of consciousness, right, and the awareness that comes with that, that is essentially what you're talking about, right? This idea that like everything's connected, right? Everything is 
um, you know, from some of the spiritual traditions, like everything's one, right? And what I love about um, this understanding, this ecosystem paradigm kind of idea is that um, A, you are exploring like how to bring that awareness again into the world, into um, the worlds of business and or relationship and how we think about things differently, but also paralleling it to, you know, again, how nature works, right? Grounding it in a very physical and tangible reality and expression. Um, and then also saying that, right, we are nature. We're not, to your point, like we're not separate from it. So um, how do we, you know, learn about and kind of remember or reawaken a way of um, understanding ourselves the way that we really are, right? Which is actually, we've talked about this before where it's like, you know, we are made up of billions of cells. We're not this like, indiv- this idea that we have of ourselves as like this individual separate thing, but instead right. this kind of constantly evolving, morphing collage, right? And like community <laughs> within communities that are interacting with other communities. Um, and so, yeah, I think the idea of bringing that awareness, you know, I think a lot of the spiritual world and work is about like having that aha personally. But um, what I love with what you're doing is bringing that aha into the context of like the outside world and and how we do what we do, make what we make, um, et cetera. So, yeah. Yes. No, I, so thanks for sort of laying all that out because I think just interesting jumping off points, right? So, you know, in terms of, you know, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of where did this idea arise for me and where did it come from? And I think, you know, which is that it really did come from um, kind of a more spiritual experience originally. And I think part of what you're pointing to is that in spiritual traditions or in psychedelic experience, which sort of for me was kind of a combination of these two. Yeah. It's very common for people to have experiences where they, they don't, well, they arrive at this sense that everything is one or everything is connected, not by intellectual means or process. It's, it just becomes this irresistibly true thing. Right. Um, and I mean, for me, I remember, you know, the first time that I ate enough psilocybin mushrooms, you know, to, uh, yeah. to really lose my sense of myself as an individual person. You know, people talk about ego loss or ego death, you know, in the context of this experience, which is, of course, a very similar language, right, to something that can happen through Mm -hmm. meditation practice or various other paths. But for me, it was psilocybin mushrooms the first time. And I was with friends in Golden Gate Park. And um, I had this experience of, um, how to describe it? I mean, it was was after, you know, an hour or so of just like lying in the roots of these uh, of these trees and kind of staring up at the, it was in the, in the night and sort of like dimly lit, but we could see, you know, all the leaves and their motion and their life. And I remember interacting conversationally with people. And as you do, I would say, and as I'm saying now, I often refer to myself as I, I would use the word I, Mm -hmm. and always 
would hear as if there is an I distinct from anything else. Like mm-hmm. this was this sort of parenthetical statement that was showing up in my brain um, unintentionally, like, like the mushrooms were just sort of sitting here on my shoulder, kind of whispering this to me. You know, that's the best way I can describe it. Or the mushrooms yeah. were like hijacking my linguistic process, you know. Uh-huh. And um, so anyone who's listening who hasn't had this experience might think this is crazy. And if you had this experience, you'll be like, of course, that's yeah. <laughs> that sounds very familiar. So it may be crazy. And yet many other people have had this experience as well. So the point is, this is just one way of, I mean, for me, what I took away from that at a fairly young adult age was, and I had this experience of like, it was hard for me to think of myself as an individual, right? Not only was I sort of hearing this in my mind as if there is an eye distinct from anything else, but I just had this visceral kind of sensory experience of the continuity of my body and everything else that I could sense, you know, the trees and the soil and the air and, and other people, in fact, I mean, mm-hmm. had a very clear experience of, of, um, telepathy with a friend who was there as well, where we would like, we were clearly having a conversation, even though we were clearly not speaking words to each other, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, without getting technical about how telepathy is defined, it was, that was our experience. We're like, Oh yeah, I guess this is what people mean by telepathy. But so just going back to the ecosystem paradigm, I mean, so that, that was one of the early touch points for me where uh, I just at least had this mental model of the possibility of non-distinction, right? Non-duality or, or mm-hmm. um, what it might be like experientially as well as conceptually to, to, to not be distinct or imagine that the world is, is much more connected and I'm much more connected than that normal waking reality kind of dictates, right? Because of course, in the West, we've all grown up thinking of ourselves as individuals. This has certainly been the case since the age of reason or the enlightenment. Um, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentally what, what we are are these individuals with certain rights and responsibilities and freedoms and all of this, right? And all of that's great. I mean, I think it's great as far as it goes. And I think it also has a lot of... Uh, limitations and perhaps some dangers, right, that we could get into, but, or that we are getting into, right, as, as a species and as society. But so, so there's kind of a lot here. I mean, it's a simple title, right? And one of my friends said, it sounds like you put two buzzwords together, ecosystem and paradigm, (laughs) right? So I'm like, okay, that was an early reaction to the title of the ecosystem paradigm. And I haven't found a better working title. And so that's what I'm going with. I think yeah. uh, this was a close friend. So he was just the sort of person that would just tell me, you know, what occurred to his, what occurred to him. But I think it's, um, I think that's an upside in the sense that there's some scaffolding intellectually that people already have, right? Okay. We understand mm-hmm. basically that ecosystems are, are, connected like collections or sets or you know of living moving things Mm -hmm. um and living moving can be in kind of in quotes right because we talk about again product ecosystems or partner Mm -hmm. ecosystems or developer ecosystems in business um but there are lots of types of participants in ecosystems and then paradigm is maybe less common but it's it's really a term that refers to like, what are all the sort of unspoken, almost unconscious 
assumptions that we make about what the world is, right? And how how do we how do we see the world? Like when I go out into the world and I see a person, for example, I think, ah, oh, there's Rachel. I mean, she is this she, if you know, mm-hmm. or I might have some idea about gender. I might say, mm-hmm. uh, there's this individual set of attributes and accomplishments and mm-hmm. um yeah kind of sort of you might say sovereignty or physical space that you occupy i mean there are all mm-hmm. these there are all these dimensions of what it is to be a human but fundamentally we think of humans as distinct individuals right in the mm-hmm. west and to your point a minute ago there's a lot more to us than that right we're made of trillions of cells even the microbiome that this mm-hmm. continues to blow my mind, right? There are 10 times as many cells living in and on your body and my body that are genetically not us than the ones that are us, right? There's 10 times as many cells, microbes. Mm-hmm. We couldn't live without these, right? Or at the very least, you know, we couldn't digest the food that we have in our digestive system very well. You know, we mm-hmm. would be very different if we didn't have um, the, this microbiome. And mm-hmm. remember Paul Stamets, here's another formative um, point in the history of my thinking of this. Paul Stamets, many of you know, right, uh, kind of quite famous uh, guru in all things fungi, had a kind of breakthrough 2008 TED Talk, and he's was out South by this year, and he's like all over the place. He was on Joe Rogan a few times. So he's pretty well known now. Um, but uh, in 1998, I saw a conference uh, where he came on stage in Amsterdam, and I was pretty young, and he said, you know, I, who am speaking to you, am the elected representative of a microbial community that is my, that is disembodiment here, like my body. Yeah. And this blew my mind, of course, right? I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Um, but it was very formative. Like, it, I was riveted after that, right? Before yeah. that, he came out on stage and said, "I my name is Paul Stamets and I work for the Mushrooms." So, those, <laughs> these two things were like kind of mind blowing at a young, uh, like a twenty something um, age. So, bring me bring this back here. I think you know these are lots of related ideas. I know we want to get to sort of how does this relate to business? How does it relate to? Um, kind of innovation consulting or this near futurist uh, work that I've been doing, um, how is it relevant? Mm-hmm. So we could get into that. I mean, what are the yeah other questions that you specifically have? Or? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, A, I love this, um, you know, again, this idea of like ourselves as these like nested entities, right? I think even your microbiome changes if you move and you live somewhere else to reflect like the actual planet and earth and food that you're eating there. And so like what more, um, you know, what more grounding idea, I think that like we are the actual earth, right? It's like where, wherever we go, our our physical body actually changes to match the place. Um, But then again, you know, that, that plays out into, well, you know, we are these nested organisms within an ecosystem, within a family system, within, uh, you know, uh, millions of ancestors playing out through us and then through, you know, uh, community, ecosystem, business, et cetera. And so, 
um, the levels of interconnection. I think, you know, you might have said at one point, sort of like a Russian doll, right? Um, but maybe even more like a three, three-dimensional, five-dimensional Russian doll or something. Um, but, um, you know, I'm curious what what has been, I mean, also just like the response from people to, you know, this paradigm, because you've been mostly giving business talks. Um, so, you know, what, what have people been saying, seeing um, like ahas that they've been having and or, you know, what are you seeing as far as um, the potential uh, impact or implications for, you know, like this kind of shift in perspective? Right. Yeah. So I think it's very early still in terms of, um, I mean, not just for me with this idea, this named idea, the ecosystem paradigm, but I think also in some ways for us as, as humans, awakening mm -hmm. into this uh, sense that everything is connected and that we are um, yeah, deeply intertwined with nature. I mean, I think we're struggling in a way with, with the idea that nature is not separate from us. You know, um, I remember hearing, and I've got more and more friends that are just like going on Alan Watts lecture binges <laughs> recently. Um, I don't know if you're one of them, but um, not long ago, I was listening to a lecture of Alan Watts and uh, he, in his particular hilarious way, uh, sort of did this reducto ad absurdum, you know, and to, to refer to a, a logical argument kind of approach that just reduces to absurdity some some concept, right? So uh -huh. what he was applying this reducto ad absurdum to was the idea that humans are separate from nature, right? And so, but he did this in a way that was so, you know, typical of him, just so calm and clear and intellectually sound that you felt like you were um, in a very relaxed, happy, even comedic way brought to this nearly inconceivable uh, conclusion, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's so deep in our language, you know, like what nature yeah. is as a term is everything living that's not human. Like that's basically what the dictionary says, right? Wow. And, and um, I had to go look that up because that was my sense just from usage, right? Growing up in the, in the West, but that right. is basically what the dictionary says is that, wow. so so there's this fundamental exceptionalism, right? That is, it's it's um, it's really hard, I think, for us to grapple with. And so my point there is just to say, um, it's uh, in some ways I feel like I'm part of a group of people that are trying to say, hey, hey, fish everywhere, we live in water, and fish are like, what are you talking about? There's no such thing, you know. It's like <laughs> I can't see it, I can't tell what it is, I can't. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. um, not the perfect analogy, but it's something like this. And so we're trying to figure out, like, what is this? I mean, mm -hmm. I also reference the Matrix in in my writing about this because it's kind of like, you know, no one can, right. no one can tell you what the Matrix is. You have to experience it for yourself, you know. So there's similarities to the narrative, but it's but it's like, how do we sort of bootstrap ourselves into this experience or this of being um, connected? So, but for me 
having studied both computer science like as a science and philosophy as a humanities from college onward and you know at the time that was surprising to my advisors you know in both departments they were like that's weird people haven't done that i was like awesome so because and i found that there was so much interplay and so much even overlap with the material which um maybe we won't go into right now but the point is that there's there's this this sort of deep structural um, alignment, I think, between different ways of thinking about and seeing the world. And so, even though I spent like 15 years uh, doing software engineering, I was always very interested in how humans experience what software is creating. And so, I've continued to to once I stopped coding all the time for production software, maybe 12 years ago, um, I realized I still wanted to be involved with digital technology and saw the opportunity around the time that um, you and I met of doing more digital experience and creative brand expression using digital technology. And so I spent a number of years doing yeah, projects for Ted Prize and also with agencies for big brands and, and then got into doing digital experience in physical space, you know, what architects call the built environment at Gensler starting 2015 for a while. And so really at the past seven or eight years, I've been developing this sense and um, of and, and language and, and ways of thinking around bringing digital and physical together, which has really been helpful for me because I'm bringing it back to like, how do we, how do we yeah. live with this? How do we apply this, these ideas, right? That seem spiritual or psychedelic, but how do we apply them to business and how are they relevant? Um, but for me, I've been like looking at how to bring digital and physical together, how to bring, um, mm. sort of the fundamentals of business models together with the fundamentals of what humans need. And there's a lot of people doing work in this space, right? Whether it's, um, experience design, user experience, even just systems design, um, which is about taking much more or service design, right? I mean, all these practices, I feel like are inching us towards um, rather than thinking of businesses and products and the things we make as being these distinct things that have their own compartmentalized existence that we can really think more and more and, and develop and share practices around how do, how do the things we make, including the things we say, the things we write, the things we record and put out as podcasts, like how do they touch and interact mm -hmm. with people? What are the impacts? And, and um, so I think this is a little bit of a long way of just saying there's lots of different practices I think that many of us are, are engaged in that I think are raising the awareness of the connectedness of everything in different ways. Right. You know, and like we're saying before we started recording, I think before we started recording, there's this whether, you know, there's very woo woo kinds of conversations about parallel universes and they're very scientific and intellectual and, and sort of, um, I guess just best word is scientific uh, conversations and peer reviewed journal papers, you know, being po published about parallel universes as well you know so it's just this interesting time where it's sort of like the most woo and the most scientific are saying very similar things about yeah. the nature of the world the nature of the universe our place within it um so yeah all of that is just to say i i think there's there's a lot of um emerging practices but yeah 
I'll stop yeah. there because I know I've been. Yeah, no, I mean, what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is um, just this, that there, <clears throat> excuse me, that there are these multiple practices, approaches, spaces, domains where this delineation between these otherwise previously siloed understandings of whether it's business function or function of a business outside of nature or uh, functioning of, you know, a type of team or work separate from another, that those are starting to um, see, uh, you know, a melding integration, potentially weaving, right? Even the idea of uh, digital in physical and the bridging together of multiple ways of connecting, communicating, interacting as being uh, spaces where this kind of unity, maybe awareness or consciousness are sort of coming into play um, and expressing in all these different ways. It's it's funny, it reminds me of a friend who, um, you know, does more sort of like consulting work. And he's like, you know, most consultants are kind of like shamans, like they're kind of working the room in this way where um, you're bringing people's consciousness to a certain level. And at, at that level of consciousness, right, uh, you start to be able to see things differently. Um, and that, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned Otto Scharmer's work to you before. He's um, at the Sloan School of Business at MIT, and um, he's been doing a lot of pioneering work around this idea of you know, the place of consciousness from which you create things generates, right, the potential, potentiality to see a new possibility, a new future, a new solution. Um, and that, you know, if you, you, you have to get to a different place of consciousness in order to do that, um, he has also said this really interesting thing that I think mirrors what you're saying, which is that, you know, if we want to make a dent in uh, the climate, you know, uh, catastrophe that's happening right now. Um, he said this interesting thing. He was like, you know, 50% is infrastructure. We need to just ramp up the capacity to put into play all the solutions that are available out there. But the other 50% is a consciousness thing. Um, he actually said, you know, we need to go from ego to eco. And um, to your point, I think it's, you know, about creating spaces, approaches, tools that bring us into, you know, like a deeper awareness of that interconnectedness of, you know, and I think it plays out on every different level, potentially simultaneously, right? Like, how is it that we're, what is the consciousness at which we're relating to each other in a meeting about a problem <laughs> that could then create a solution where, you know, there's multiple functions coming into play for, you know, a larger um, solution that could then also impact, you know, uh, people, the world, natural ecosystems in a way that is more holistic, uh, more um, connected, uh, and ideally, you know, caring, um, and, and of service, as you said, way in the beginning, you know, how is it that these business functions can be applied towards uh, natural ecosystems in, in support of their thriving? So I think, yeah, what you're talking about, even, you know, conceptually, the application is really nested, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, one of, 
Yeah, there's a few things that you remind me of that I'd love to touch on real quickly. One yeah, is, yeah. you know, in the in the journey um, for me of arriving or or sort of evolving in my thinking and practice from, so I talked about digital and physical convergence and what seeing, sort of bringing these things together can, can the value it can offer to brands and businesses, um, which we could talk about more, but um, the point at which I realized that there's much more uh, depth or implication to this idea of interconnectedness to to business and to solving problems like climate and so on. One of those moments in my journey was, um, I think it was early 2021, kind of a year into the pandemic and reading this story in the New York Times that was talking about stakeholder capitalism, which I think you and many of your listeners are probably aware of, you know, as an alternative to shareholder capitalism, right? Which the latter just, you know, is sort of what we would consider to be sort of traditional way of thinking about the responsibilities of business right now, which is just maximizing profit for shareholders, right? That's shareholder capitalism. And stakeholder capitalism says, and it's been around since the 70s as a defined term, but it just takes the stance that there are many stakeholders in any business, you know, everyone from the people that mine the original raw materials to make something to all of the workers, to all of the people that are touched by you know, the factories and the offices and the transport and everything, everything, right? I mean, the, the businesses have many, many different um, points of impact in the world. And and so for me anyway, stakeholder capitalism, you know, the story in the Times early 2021 was that this idea, this way of looking at business is still really failing to get traction, right? It's, it's really languishing. And 50 years in, right? And I just reflected on, so it's been almost 20 years since Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth book and movie, mm -hmm. and we've had years of Greta Thunberg's advocacy and her passion around climate and many other sort of um, kind of data points, I guess, to just to be kind of cold about it um, around climate, but why has there been so little action, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems that, I mean, there are various takeaways. One, I think, is it doesn't seem to work um, to try to guilt or shame humans into taking action around climate, right? I mean, I think we kind of know that at the individual level, but I think guilt, fear, shame, these these don't really work to solve this. So for me, you know, the, the thought I had at that time was, well, maybe take a step back and say, like, if we thought of climate as us, right, if we were able to let go of this idea that we're distinct from nature and so if we if we did and when we do have this experience of of just um, non-distinction like you know indifference or not indifference but non-differentiation or just oneness right with nature in that moment or from that place climate change is like us change you know it's climate change. and so then there's no need to guilt or scare or shame it's just this is us, this is our body, this is who and what we are when we see the climate shifting. So to me, it seems like that's a path to actual action that, that has, where there's a, we have a stake in it, in a way. It's not like we're checking a box or, you know, doing something 
performative or like theatrical for shareholders, but it's, you know, we feel an investment in it. Now, how do we get there? Right. And yes, there's spiritual practice. There's psychedelic awareness. I've thought about like, can we do, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I, I really want to like use psilocybin maybe in some kind of microdose way to do innovation workshops, you know, with mm-hmm. big companies just to open people's mind or to start from a place of f- like feeling and thinking in a connected way. But I'll say two other quick things because I, I know we're probably running uh, um, towards the end of time about what I've just been calling recently convergent technology, right? Which is bringing kind of domains together. And I uh, talked about these two uh, in in this recent South by Southwest talk with Shell Kaiman. One is just the fact that we are um, full on co-creating the world with AI right now, right? Just to acknowledge like a, a very big conversational topic and trend right now. And there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of excitement, but I think it's fair to say that the reality is that humanity and how we think and how we articulate and how we create is merging with how AI, these large language models are put in air quotes, but thinking and creating and and building the world, right? And so there's this convergence that Ray Kurzweil and singularity proponents and others have talked about for many years, but we're kind of at this point, right? We're co-creating with, with AI and we're converging with AI. And so this is something to really be awake about. Another aspect of this, and you and I haven't talked so much about this, but um, a few months ago, I started um, a role as head of product at this company, Alki Labs, which is fundamentally a tech startup creating uh, precise spatial positioning infrastructure to replace GPS with uh, kind of works everywhere, works indoors, millimeter precision, privacy preserving positioning infrastructure, um, which is sort of to say more about why that is. I mean, short story is lots of future use cases are really dependent on it from autonomous vehicles to robotics to um, augmented reality, which is the second conversion technology I wanted to mention. Alki Labs is very focused on creating augmented reality, which is specifically placing digital content and objects in physical space in a way that um, is shared. Like if you and I are in the same physical space, we can experience this digital content and these digital objects, avatars, objects, whatever, as part of our shared physical environment. And we feel like this is not just an important technological accomplishment or milestone that that we're working on, but um, really critical for the future of our intersubjectivity, of our experience of shared reality, which has been eroded a lot, I think, over the past 15 years by social media and filter bubbles and, you know, all the things that we know and love about how, you know, and alternative facts, right, and just this polarization, deep deep political polarization that has, has been happening. So we, we actually see creating shared augmented reality and bringing digital and physical together in this way as kind of having a deep um, human um, impact. Like we're, we're really driven by, you know, creating for humanity this ability to have digital content, which we know is... We feel like an AR is inevitable, right? Digital content and objects are going to show up in the physical world, just like everything that can be digital will be. I mean, 
everything mm -hmm. digital that can be usefully placed in the physical world is going to start to, to, you know, be liberated from these black slabs in our hands and show up in the physical world. And so all that's just to say, it needs to be part of our shared reality if we're going to live in this deeply connected way, you know, because the fact that you and I feel connected to the extent that we do in this conversation is a lot of that is that we, I mean, we're experiencing this podcast recording software and this conversation in real time. That's important, right? Versus like asynchronously on a, on a feed. But it's also that we have this, like we're, we're looking at each other. We have this similar kind of visual and we are kind of experiencing the same digital reality at the same time. And we, like I'm saying, we've seen what happens when we when we don't, right? That there can be a lot of polarization, a lot of loneliness, a lot of even um, increase in suicide and just disconnection, right? We mm -hmm. thought social media was going to connect us. I think to a large degree, it's driven wedges between us. But so all of that's just to say there are technologies and ways of using technologies that I think can can help us really lean into this sense of being connected with each other. Right. Hopefully that's, yeah. that's a lot there, but hopefully that all kind of lands. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. You know, for me, the feeling that I get and the sort of what I see or experience in my imagination is right. This world where, um, to your point, it's almost like there is a bridging or an inviting of all of human creativity into the physical experienced world, which is, you know, up until now, uh, you know, been expressed through painting and paper and things like that, but digitally only on, to your point, like these screens or these, you know, bricks in our hands um, that all of a sudden can um, be brought into, right, the spaces around us, places between people sitting next to each other or um, landmarks that then can share the information of a history that happened there. Or um, it really feels like, you know, presencing, um, you know, what has been there in a way that we can participate with more and maybe support people and having an experience of like, you know, deeper connection with the, with the world around them. And, or, you know, I think so much of human creativity is also an act of co-creation with, you know, whatever you want to call it, the spiritual realm or the, the muse or the, you know, these other dimensions um, from which we are constantly pulling information. And so what a fascinating invitation to bring that again into our physical, you know, spatial lived reality as, as humans in a body and um, definitely see that as an expression of this in idea of, you know, non-distinction, right? Like that we're um, coming into deeper and deeper, um, fully holistic relationship with, um, you know, the, the idea realm, the creative realm, the natural realm. Um, and hopefully that supports our interrelational, you know, <laughs> relationship with each other too, you know, just as humans connecting with each other um, yes. and taking care of ourselves in the process. Yeah. Yes. No. And I think that we, I know that we share, right, this desire to um, 
kind of transform ourselves and help transform um, other people um, in service of, I mean, not, not just in service of a sort of individual um, awakening, fulfillment, um, awareness, and so on, but also because uh, business is made up of people and yeah. business isn't going anywhere. I mean, business, I think, is the most impactful force that we have on the planet, actually, in terms of transforming the physicality of of our surroundings and of each other. I mean, it's it's almost such a basic statement that it seems super obvious, but the point is that businesses are driven by people and, you know, right. The something that I've explored a lot in this book I've been writing is, is, and of course many people are saying this, but just when we transform the way we see the world as business leaders, as people creating things in the world, um, we will sort of transform how, how we impact the world, right? Through our, through our businesses, which I think, yes, are the most impactful large scale forces on the planet. Yeah. So powerful. Oh, thank you for um, all of the work that you're doing to make that possible and to invite people into um, these, you know, shifts of awareness um, personally and for their work. Um, I think to your point, that is exactly how we're going to see change as it ripples out through, you know, what we create and how we create it. Um, but just to close us out, I don't know if there's anything that I haven't asked um, that you feel like you'd like to share or um, that maybe you'd like to leave people with um, as, as we close out our time together. I think we've covered a lot. I think um, I would encourage people to, yeah, I guess just reflect on this idea of you know, one of the one of the pieces I put up at the ecosystemparadigm.com, which has some articles, you know, of containing the ideas that I've been I've been working on and developing as part of this book and the and the keynote talk I give. Um, one of the articles I titled there just uh, "What is the world?" and it's a little bit of a a reflective. It's kind of a brief. It's almost like a a koan, you know, like a brief yeah. article, but it's it's like a two minute read, I think, and it was in this moment where I was just exploring like what's the simplest way to articulate what this idea is as kind of a provocation. And mm -hmm. I think most of us in the West anyway would say, well, the world is like a bunch of things ultimately. Like if we got pushed, you know, like, right. well, define, 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 right? Like reduce, reduce. And it's just not, I think. Yeah. I think it's like this is a layer of abstraction that we've placed on it in order to make it sort of more usable, like more um, compartmentalizable, which has lots of benefits, right? Yeah. But I think, I think if we're going to make it to the next stage of human evolution, you know, if we're going to have a thriving, abundant future, like what, I'll, I'll end with this, right? I mean, what... Many of us don't even dare, I think, to imagine the future as a thriving, abundant place for us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't realize until we're really 
our attention is drawn to it, just how cynical we are about the future, right? I mean, mm-hmm. many people just expect that we won't, um, or, or the future is one of more um, scarcity. It's more, you know, sort of belt tightening. It's, it's, you know, like it's, yeah. it's um, mm-hmm. constraint. And for various reasons, I think it doesn't have to be, but I think how we imagine the future is really important and impactful. Like we, we do create the future that we imagine. And so I guess I would leave people with that. Like imagine a thriving, abundant future. If you use mid journey, type in slash imagine thriving, abundant future, see what comes because um, you'll be surprised. Like that's, that's the exercise I would say. Yeah. Imagine a thriving, abundant future. (laughs) Can I actually, um, can I, can I, guide like a tiny meditation as a close. Let's do it. Um, Okay. So if you're listening, just taking a moment to connect with your breath. Moving in and out of your body. And just feeling your feet on the ground or your weight supported by this giant earth underneath you. And as you do that, just allowing yourself to let go a little bit and receive the feeling and sensation of all of the energy of this massive earth coming through you and to you nourishing every part of you, including this giant microbiome that is almost more than half not you. And feeling the nourishment and support of all of the plants and everything that you've eaten, all of the water that you've drank, just feeling the energy of each of these beings and creatures traveling to you from everywhere from down the street to around the world. And feeling the support of the millions of people whose hands touched all of those plants and animals and made the pipes that brought the water and the trucks that drove the food. And as you feel and receive all of the energy and effort of these people and these companies, as you breathe, imagining that this air that you are breathing has come all the way around the world, has at some point been breathed by every human on the planet, every creature, every being passed through every jet stream across every continent. And so feeling yourself really made up by the energy and the matter of all of these thousands of organisms and beings just considering what small part you play in the millions of lives of others around the world. 
imagining them also feeling touched by your work, your life. And as you exhale, imagining at some point, everyone around the world receiving the same breath. And feeling the care in that, the potential, the possibility to support and be supported by the lives of so many others. And so with that, just finding your way back to this space and this place, and if there is anything that you want to write or journal about this invitation, this inquiry, what is the world and what is a thriving and abundant future connected with everyone else's? Just invite you to imagine to journal, to write, to share with us in conversations to come and to let it uh, move you and to influence all that you do and are in the world. Oh, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you so much, Neil, for sparking it and for um, this slice and piece of um, awareness that you're bringing to humanity. Really grateful um, and excited to see where it goes from here. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Take care. Thanks, you too. <laughs>